Let's pray together. Lord, we do thank you and praise you for your presence that's with us always. Lord, we ask for you to increase the manifest presence of your Holy Spirit in our midst. Speak to our hearts even this morning as we look into your word. Teach us, encourage us, strengthen us, convict us, grant repentance. God, you know what it is we need in our life today, even now. Lord, we thank you that not only do you know you are able to meet whatever need there is. Lord, I pray that our, our ears would be opened, our hearts would be opened to receive what your Spirit wants to speak to each one of us today. We ask this in Jesus' name. <clears throat> Amen. Well, one Sunday morning, there was a little boy, and he was standing in the foyer of the church, and he was looking at this plaque that had all these names on it. And he's just standing there looking at this plaque, and you can almost see the wheels in his, in his mind turning as he's looking at this plaque. And the pastor comes walking over. He sees this little boy there, and he comes walking over, and he stands by him. And he just stands there for a few minutes, too, just looking at this plaque. And then finally the little boy speaks up. And he says, good morning, pastor. What is this? And the pastor looks at him. He says, well, son, all those names are the names of people who have died in the service. <laughs> you see it coming. And the pastor didn't. They're standing there soberly looking at these names. And finally, little Johnny barely audibly says, well, which service, the 8.30 or the 10.30? <laughs> and for a lot of people, that's what church is like. <laughs> Hopefully, you just fall asleep and you don't die <laughs> during our services. But it's kind of funny as we hear that because there's, a, there's, a, there's an essence of truth in there that we kind of can relate to sometimes. And I would like to live in my little world of deception and think that that's never the case here. But I know in the church I grew up in, it was like, oh, God, I wish I'd die. It's got to be better than this. And the truth of the matter is, there's even been surveys done, lots of them, on what could we do differently or what needs to be changed or improved in the church today? How could we make it better? And one of the surveys, I'm going to share with you a number of the, the things that came back on the survey. Better facilities. Friendlier people. Better preachers. Shorter sermons. Oh, I was afraid I'd get amens. More love and caring. Better music. Outreach programs. Quit it. Greater missions emphasis. Trained volunteers. More involvement from the people, greater loyalty, more money. Well, all of these things, except for that shorter sermon thing, all of these things may have a point, and there may be some benefit to them. And in and of themselves, there's really nothing wrong with any of them. But I am absolutely certain that none of these things are what the church needs. And when I say the church... I'm not talking about this church or any denomination or any specific church. I am talking about the church of God, the church of Christ. The church that all believers are a part of. That's what I'm talking about. And it's interesting, as I was reading, I was reading a little book, and when I looked at the date that this book was written, the man that wrote it lived in the eight, late 1800s, and he died in 1932. And this book was published in 1932. And as I was reading this book, I'm thinking, wow, 
not much has changed since the 30s. Because he's talking about the church and he's declaring what the church needs. It doesn't need all these other things to necessarily accomplish anything. Well, they might accomplish something. Did you know that, that organizations really don't need God? Men are pretty talented. We can do a lot of things on our own. But the Bible is clear that if there's going to be anything of lasting value towards in the kingdom, anything that God's going to say, thank you, you did my will, it can't be accomplished without the Holy Spirit. We can do a lot of things without God. You can run a church without God. You get good people, wise people, creative people, talented people, and you could build a congregation. But it's not God's church if the Spirit of God is not there. So I'm certain what the church needs today is every single member of the church to be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's what the church needs. Every single Christian, every single person that calls himself a Christian to be filled with the Holy Spirit and to be continually filled with the Holy Spirit. I'm not just talking about, you know, we're a charismatic church. We talk about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But you notice in the book of Acts, it didn't take long after the day of Pentecost, and they were crying out to be filled with the Holy, Spirit's, Holy Spirit. There was a time after, I believe it was John and Peter were arrested, and they get out released, and they go talk to their friends, and, and it says they're praying, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Just a few days after Pentecost, we need to be continually filled with the Holy Spirit. And I believe totally that's what the church needs. The title of my message is kind of simple. And hopefully you won't think it's heretical. Better than Jesus. Seriously. What could be better than Jesus? Well, nothing in my mind, but Jesus said there was something that would be better than him being present in the disciples' midst. He said, it is much to your advantage that I depart, that I leave. Because if I don't leave, the Holy Spirit will not come. But if I leave, the Holy Spirit, Father will grant me the Holy Spirit and I will give the Holy Spirit to you. And the Holy Spirit's going to come. You know, there's a few verses, because I want to be really clear on this. I am not in any way, shape, or form, diminishing who Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, is. Not in any way, whatsoever. He is the door. He opened the way of redemption. His death and resurrection are what allows any of us to become Christians. But you know what? Even after he opened the door, the Bible's clear there's not a single one of us that would respond and walk through that door unless the Holy Spirit drew them. And the Holy Spirit convicted us of sin. We wouldn't repent. And the blood of Jesus would not have effect in our life without the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the presence of God on the earth today. He lives in every single one of us. And you know what? The Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. We have the spirit of Jesus, the Holy Spirit, the third part of the Trinity, living in us. That's what it is. And the reason I, I'm really feeling to be talking about the Holy Spirit this week and for a few more weeks, I believe, 
is not, not because Jesus has been talked about too much. You can't talk about Jesus too much. But the Holy Spirit has been neglected for way too long. The church, the church I grew up in, the only time I heard about the Holy Spirit was when we read the, recited the creed. That was it. And even there, it mentioned Jesus about ten times and the Holy Spirit once. So I'm not trying to diminish Christ in any way. But I am trying to get us to focus on the presence of God, the presence of Christ that's with us today, and that's the Holy Spirit who lives and dwells in us. Because the, the church can't exist without the Holy Spirit. It's impossible. You and I could not be Christians if it were not for the Holy Spirit. The, whole, the church, Christ's church, is the creation of the Holy Spirit. Jesus died that we could become members of his church. But the Holy Spirit comes, woos us, draws us, convicts us of sin, grants us repentance, and allows for us to enter into the church, God's church, his family. The church is a community of believers who owes their spiritual life to the Holy Spirit drawing us to Jesus Christ. You can't separate the two. But we've ignored the Holy Spirit so much for the last 50, 60, 70, 80 years in the church. And we wonder why we hear so many stories about dead, dying churches. A church that is nothing more than a social club with good programs will eventually die because God's hand's not going to be on it. The presence of the Holy Spirit and the gospel message, those two things are what will give life to the church. Why do people go to a church? Well, they might go because it is a nice facility. They might go because there's nice music. Maybe they're even fortunate enough that there's a good pastor. But none of those things will do and accomplish what God has called his church to do without the clear gospel message being spoken and taught and the presence of the Holy Spirit. And that's why I'm convinced what the church needs as a whole is the Holy Spirit and an understanding of the Holy Spirit. And again, I'm going to say it, and I probably won't repeat this too many more times, but I don't want anybody to think that I'm belittling Jesus in any way, shape, or form. He is the door. The Bible says clearly, I am the door. But the Holy Spirit is the one. In 1 Corinthians 12, 3, it says, No one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. So the work of Christ without the Holy Spirit working in our life, we can't even acknowledge that he is Lord of our life. We wouldn't repent. We wouldn't receive Jesus as our sacrifice if it weren't for the Holy Spirit. So the two of them. And the work of the Holy Spirit is set out really pretty clearly in three chapters, four chapters in the Gospel of John. We're not going to spend much time in there. I'm just going to read a couple things. They're not on the overhead. But in John chapter 14 through 17, Jesus, this is like the night, the night he's going to be betrayed. And he's giving instruction. And why then? Because he knows he's going to be leaving. Things are going to change. His disciples who look to him and lean on him so much, Jesus knows he's going to be arrested. He's going to be crucified. He's going to be raised from the dead. And then he eventually, he's going to ascend to heaven. 
And he knows, he knows that he cannot leave them alone as orphans and that the Father is going to send the Holy Spirit. I'm just going to read a few verses in, a, in a, those chapters in John. And I will ask the Father, verse 16 of chapter 14, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper, an advocate, the paraclete. Helper's, helper's too weak a term, really. He is our advocate. He is a paraclete. He is Jesus, the Spirit of Jesus. He says, I'm leaving you as you see me now, but the Spirit of Jesus, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit is coming. And he will be your advocate, your teacher, your comforter, etc., etc. And he may be with you forever. Forever. That is the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it not behold him or know him, but you know him because he abides with you and he will be in you forever. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. My Holy Spirit will be sent. You're not going to be alone. I'm going to jump over to verse 24. He who does not love me does not keep my words, and the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I was abiding with you. But the paraclete, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things. He will bring to your remembrance everything that I have said. Peace I live with you. My peace I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. Why? Because my Holy Spirit will come and live and dwell in each one of you. I'm going to jump over to chapter 17 and just read a couple more verses because I want you to see how Jesus talks about the Holy Spirit so you know that anything I'm saying is even less than what Jesus said about the Holy Spirit. He says, I'm going to start in verse... Six of chapter 16. Chapter 16. But I tell you the truth, Jesus is speaking. It is to your advantage. It's better that I go away. For if I do not go away, the paraclete, the helper, the Holy Spirit will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And he, when he comes, he will convict the world of concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness because... Because I go to the Father, and you no longer behold me. And concerning judgment, because the rule of this world has been judged. I have many more things to say to you, but I can't say them now because you can't bear them now. I can't even speak them now. But when the Holy Spirit comes, the Spirit of truth, He will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on His own initiative, but whatever He hears, He will speak. And He will disclose to you what is to come. He shall glorify of me, glorify me, for he shall take of mine and shall disclose it to you. Jesus is telling them the Holy Spirit is going to be more advantageous for him to come and for me to leave. But he won't come unless I leave. The Holy Spirit in the church, the promises laid out for us by Jesus himself. You know, in the Gospels, it tells us, well, in, in Acts chapter 1, Verses 1 and 2, it says this, All that Jesus began and teach until the day he was taken up, after he had by the Holy Spirit given orders to the apostles he had chosen. When we read the gospel message, we're hearing all about Jesus, all he taught and all he had done. But then he leaves. But in the book of Acts, we continue to hear about Jesus 
and all that he has done, all that he taught via the Holy Spirit speaking to us. The Holy Spirit's mission is to glorify Jesus. And I think we maybe have heard that before, but what does it mean? How does the Holy Spirit glorify Jesus? He does it by perpetuating the character of Christ in his children. That glorifies Jesus. When he brings about the change in your life and my life, it's a miracle the change that he brings about in our life when we listen and cooperate with the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is bringing the character of Christ into each one of us to bring glory to Jesus. Not to make you look better for your own glory, not to break through all these issues in our lives for your own glory, but to glorify Jesus. So he brings glory to the Lord by perpetuating his character in his kids, by establishing his kingdom here on earth. The Holy Spirit is at work doing that. And that's what Christ came to make possible for his kingdom to be revealed here on earth. And by accomplishing the redeeming purpose of Christ in the world. Just think how horrible it would be if Jesus came as the Son of God and he went to the cross he took that beating, he took the abuse, he had nails driven in his hands and feet, and he was nailed to a cross for this torturous death to redeem us from the power of sin and death. And then he died and was raised from the dead and went to heaven. And that was the end of the story. He redeemed us, but it's the Holy Spirit's job then to come and glorify Christ by working out redemption in the world. And in our lives. If he wasn't here, if he wasn't here working that into us, it wouldn't occur. The door would have been opened and no one would enter. But the Holy Spirit is working that out and he's doing it to redeem the, purpose, the purposes of redemption in the world. The church, as I'm talking about it, is truly the body of Christ. And the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth, is the Spirit of Christ. I want to read a couple of quotes in my sermon today. The first one is this. It's from this little book I'm reading. And the guy that wrote this book, uh, it was Samuel Chadwick. He was born and lived in England back in the late 1800s. But he said this about the Holy Spirit. He fills the body, meaning the body of Christ, directs its movements, controls its members, supplies its, wis its wisdom, and gives its strength. He guides into truth. He sanctifies its members. He empowers for witnessing. The work of the church is to minister the Spirit, speak His message, and transmit His power. And that is the work of the Holy Spirit, continuing and carrying out the work of Jesus, the Holy Spirit in the church. The real problem with the church in a lot of cases, and quite frankly with many Christians, is that they have way more faith in the world and in the flesh than they do in the power of the Holy Spirit. If he's talked about it all. How many churches talk about the Holy Spirit? Quite frankly, how many churches talk about the gospel message, the blood of Jesus anymore? It's a message that they don't want to hear. It's ignored. It's not politically correct to talk about a bloody gospel. The blood of Jesus Christ was shed for our sins. How could we not talk about that? 
The Holy Spirit is the presence of God on earth to help apply all of the benefits and the changes in our lives that Christ died for. How can we not talk about the Holy Spirit? But that's happened. The church won't change until we get back to the realized presence and power of the Holy Spirit in it. And even as I say that, I have a hard time grasping that truth. That the Spirit of God that was present in Genesis 1, that hoovered over the face of the earth, brooded, it says, over the face of the earth, that Spirit who was involved with creation from day one as we know it, lives in me. He lives in me. There is that power, that resource, that love in me that I have complete access to because of what Jesus did on the cross. That should be and is mind-boggling. What would the church look like? What would we as Christians look like if we really grasped that truth and reality and surrendered our life totally to the control of the Holy Spirit? I can guarantee you one thing, it looked different in most of our lives. We would walk in a, an authority and power that we don't even comprehend most of the time. But above and beyond that, and more important than that is, we would manifest and exhibit the character of Christ that would draw people to him as the Holy Spirit moves and works in our life. And we respond to the Holy Spirit. How much difference can the Holy Spirit and a clear gospel message make in a church? Well, it makes all the difference in the world. I want to take you to the book of Acts in chapter 18. And there's a, there's a picture at the end of chapter 18 and in the beginning of chapter 19 that shows you a group of people First, without the clear gospel and without the Holy Spirit. And then, wow, what happens when understanding of the gospel and the presence of the Holy Spirit shows up? And this first group is a great group of people. A great group of people. Wait till you hear about their teacher. In Acts chapter 18, starting at verse 24, I'm going to give you just a little background. The guy's name is Apollos, and he's in Ephesus. But a little background, Paul had been over in Corinth, and in that area, the, 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 the region was called Achaia. And he'd been over in that region ministering, and while he was there, he met a couple, Aquila and Priscilla, a husband and wife team. And when they left, they got on the boat together to go to Ephesus, and it says, Paul left Aquila and Priscilla there, and he went on, and he said, and Lord willing, I'm coming back here. So that's the scenario. Now we're in Ephesus, and Aquila and Priscilla are there, but Paul's went on, and Aquila and Priscilla were under the teaching of Paul in Corinth, so they understood who the Messiah really was and what he'd really done. And now they're in Ephesus. And starting in verse 24, it says, Now a Jew named Apollos, an, an Alexandrian by birth. And listen to the description of this guy. He was an eloquent man. He came to Ephesus, and he was mighty in the Scriptures. 
This man was, has been instructed in the way of the Lord. He is fervent in spirit. He was speaking and teaching accurately the things concerning the Lord or Jesus or the Messiah, depending on your translation. He was acquainted only with the baptism of John. And he began to speak out boldly in the synagogue. This is quite a guy. An amazing guy. And he's confronting the Jews in the synagogue and he's preaching in the synagogue. And then there's that word, but. But when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, and there's a lot to be learned on how they handled this. And it's interesting to me that Priscilla, the lady's name is mentioned first. That would be unusual. Unless she maybe happened to be the one speaking into the life of Apollos. Women in ministry. But when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. Man, you just heard his description, but they're going to explain to it more accurately. And when he wanted to go across to Achaia, the brethren encouraged him and, and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. And when he had arrived, he greatly helped those who had believed through grace. For he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, demonstrating by the scriptures that Jesus was the Christ. So what was going on when he was doing this teaching? Look at this description again of him. He's eloquent. Really what that word meant was learned, educated. When he says he was, from, he was an Alexandrian by birth, Alexandria of Egypt at that time was known as an educational center of the world. And that's where he had grown up, in Alexandria in Egypt. And then it says this man comes to Ephesus and he's, he's mighty in the scriptures. He knew and understood the Old Testament. He was mighty in the scriptures, mighty in the word that they had at the time. He was instructed in the way of the Lord. He understood the Old Testament doctrine. He got it. And it says he was fervent in spirit. This what got, he was zealous for the word of God. Zealous for the truth. Speaking and teaching accurately concerning the Messiah or concerning the things of the Lord. And some translations actually say concerning the things of Jesus. What that really means is he understood from the Old Testament differently than most of the Jews at that time. He understood that the Messiah, the Christ who was to come, was going to come as a suffering servant. He was going to come in humility and brokenness, and he understood that he was coming be, to be a sacrifice for the people. It's, he understood all that in the general sense, but he didn't really know who Jesus was personally. He really didn't know that Jesus, the man, filled that role that he understood so well. But because he understood it, he was ready to receive, to receive it. And we know this because it says he was only acquainted with the baptism of John. And what was John the Baptist's baptism all about? Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. In other words, repent, the Messiah is coming. Repent, I am here to prepare the way of the Lord. Repent, get right, get ready to receive our Messiah when he comes. And this is what he understood. This is what he had taught. And you see what's missing. Everything that he was teaching was truth. But he didn't have all the truth. Everything he, he, he knew the scriptures. He was fervent and he was teaching. 
That's why it's so important all the truth is taught. The Bible is true, all of it. Not just part of it. And we need to teach it all, and especially the truth of the gospel message and the truth of the Holy Spirit in application of the gospel message. So there's a problem there. And Aquila and Priscilla, or Priscilla and Aquila, they hear him teaching and they recognize, wow, this is good, but he doesn't have the whole story. And it says they, he took him aside privately. Maybe they invited him home for a cup of coffee. And it says they took him aside and they explained to him more accurately. In other words, they said, you know what you're teaching is right on. That is the Messiah. You're speaking about the Messiah, the Christ. But he came and he was Jesus of Nazareth who died on the cross. He was a sacrifice just like you're teaching. He was humble just like you're teaching. He didn't come as a king riding a white horse. But he's already came and he died and he has been raised from the dead. And they explained the truth to him and he embraced it immediately because he was prepared. And then we see shortly thereafter, he feels called to go over to Corinth into this area called Achaia and to go over there and teach, kind of following up on the Apostle Paul. So you had this amazing group of people digging into the word, but it was really on the strength of only part of the truth. It wasn't bad, but it wasn't what God wanted because Jesus Christ had already came, he'd already died, he'd already been resurrected, he'd already been ascended, and his church was already being formed. And this wasn't his church that he had in mind. It was still carrying a burden of legalism, rules, sacrifice, all of this stuff. It wasn't what he had in mind. He came with a gospel of grace for us to receive by faith. And so then, as you go on into chapter nine, nine, uh, 19, excuse me, <clears throat> I'm going to read, you need to read the whole chapter, but I'm not going to. I'm only going to read the first six verses to you. Apollos, it says, it happened while Apollos had went to Corinth, and the apostle Paul comes back to Ephesus. And it says he passed through the upper country, and it meant the upper country because it was more elevated, um, uh, higher, literally higher, and he went through the upper country and came to Ephesus. And it says he found some disciples and he says to them, and it's interesting, he said to them, you wonder why he said this to them. I think because he knew something was missing. These were believers. It says they're disciples. Something's missing. And he says, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said to him, no. We've not even heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, into what then were you baptized? And they said, into John's baptism. And then Paul told them and says, and we're getting the abbreviated Reader's Digest version here because he told them a lot. But it says, he told them that John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in him who was coming after him. That is, in Jesus. In other words, he was preparing you for the one who was coming and his name was Jesus and he has already came. And he already paid the price and he was raised from the dead and he has ascended to heaven. That's the Jesus. And they look and it says, whoa, baby, they believed. They said, we believe and it says they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. 
They were baptized, identifying with his death, with his resurrection, with the Lord Jesus. And then it says, Paul, after he had laid hands upon them, the Holy Spirit came to them and they began speaking with tongues and prophesying. My point is this. This group of people in Ephesus, whoever they were, they were Old Testament believers. It says they believed. And Jesus, he says, what are you believing in? What were you baptized in? Repentance. That's not enough. That's still the law. That's still rules, regulations, legalism. Jesus came. They accepted the reality that Jesus was the Messiah. They accepted the real gospel message. And they were baptized in that message and received the Holy Spirit. And then Paul laid hands on him and they received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And then if you continue to read that chapter, and I'm not going to read all of the verses, but as you continue to read, you get a sense of what took place after the Holy Spirit was loosed amongst believers. Acts 19, 11 and 12. God was performing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul so that handkerchiefs and aprons were even carried from his body to the sick and the diseases left them and the evil spirits were not, were, went out of them. What was happening? The power of the Holy Spirit was being demonstrated. The power of Jesus, the Spirit of Jesus was being demonstrated. The Holy Spirit. In Acts 19, verse 17 through 20, it goes on and says, This became known to all, both Jews and Gentiles, Jews and Greeks. There's a great story in there. I won't go into detail, but if you haven't read it, you need to read it. They were casting out demons, and some other guys thought they'd give it a whirl. And they knew Paul was using the name of Jesus, so they thought they'd use the name of Paul and the name of Jesus. They got beat to a pulp and stripped naked. Read it. It's in there. You can't make this stuff up. And then it goes on and says, this became known to all, both Jews and Greeks, who lived in Ephesus, and fear of the Lord fell upon them. And the name of the Lord was being magnified. When miracles occur, when deliverances occur, when people get saved, the name of the Lord is magnified. And it's the Holy Spirit is doing His work, and people are responding the Holy Spirit, to the Holy Spirit, Jesus is magnified. And then it goes on, and it says, Many also of those who had believed, notice this, those who had believed kept coming and confessing their practices, disclosing their sin. They kept repenting. The Holy Spirit was working, and they kept repenting as the Holy Spirit would bring conviction of sin. And it says, And many of those who practiced magic, they brought their books together and began burning them in the sight of everyone. And they counted up the price of them and found it to be 50,000 pieces of silver. So the, Lord of, the word of the Lord was growing mightily and prevailing. Why? Because the Holy Spirit was doing his thing. He was applying the redemption of, that Jesus provided for us to people's lives. And they were responding. There were miracles, signs, and wonders. There were people being delivered. And the word was going forth. And then it says there, and the word of the Lord was growing mightily and prevailing. The church should prevail. And if you don't understand what that means, is we should win. The world is winning for all apparent points of view. But that's not true. It's all a deception. It's all a deception of the devil. 
But the church needs to step up and understand the infilling and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Responding, led to, led by the Holy Spirit. Allowing the Holy Spirit to show us those things in our lives that we need to repent of. Those things that are sin, call it what we want, they're sin. And we need to repent. It says here the believers were recognizing, oh my goodness, we're still doing witchcraft and magic. They burned all their books publicly, a demonstration of repentance. And the word of God prevailed mightily. And then if you go a little bit further, you see in Acts 19, 23 and 24, about that time, there occurred no small disturbance concerning the way. You know who the way was? That's us, Christians. They called him the way at that time. One of the things they called him was the way. Oh boy, they were stirring things up. And if you read the story in chapter 19, they were ticking off a whole lot of people. And you know who they were ticking off? Wasn't just the other sinners and the ones who were selling all the magic stuff. They were ticking off the church, the religious people. They didn't like what was going on. It was messing with their Jewish beliefs, the priest's system. And God had came to, to fulfill all that it represented and then replace it with grace. With grace. And in verses 28 and 29 it says, And when the people heard this, they were filled with rage. They heard what? They heard what these crazy Christians were speaking about. They heard what these crazy Christians were teaching. They saw that these crazy Christians were burning their, their magic books. They saw that they were starting to say there is no God but Jehovah. And they're saying, wait a minute, what about Diana, the one we all worship? We've got this beautiful temple. We sell all these little idols to all the people. They're ruining our economy. And it says the people were upset. They were filled with rage. And they began crying out and saying, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. You know what I see here is when the church is doing what it's supposed to do, living out the gospel as we are led by the Holy Spirit, there's going to be persecution. They're not going to like it. The world's not going to like it because we're going to stand up for what is truth, politically correct or not. We're going to call sin, sin. But the whole while, we're loving everybody. And they're going to hate that even more. The world won't like it. And you know who else won't like it? The religious entities that still want to contain and hold the power and authority. The Holy Spirit never delegated his power or relegated his power to a group of people that were not preaching the gospel clearly. It belongs to him and his church, to him and his people. The gospel message, accompanied by the presence and power of the Holy Spirit, are the only things that are adequate for the Christian life and for God's church to prevail. We need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And that word, when you read it in the Scripture, it's not talking about a one-time event. It's being filled and continually filled. You know, I, I'm, I'm purposing in my own prayer life, God, fill me with your Holy Spirit. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Convict me of sin. You know, I, look at yourself as a vessel that could be filled to overflowing by the Holy Spirit as long as it's clean. Because the Holy Spirit's not going to fill a dirty vessel. And what dirties my vessel is my sin. 
So God, by your Holy Spirit, reveal that sin, convict me of sin, grant me repentance, and fill me. The world drains us dry. And we need to walk in a power and authority of the Holy Spirit. Listen to this. The church will not exist without the miracles of the Holy Spirit. It will die. The biggest miracle is somebody gets saved. But we see throughout Scripture, they used a whole lot of other miracles to draw people to the truth of the Word of God. And it was all by the power of the Holy Spirit. Man can't build God's church in their own strength. We can build big buildings. We can develop amazing programs. We can train volunteers so they're really good at what they do. And we can get the best professional sounding band you ever saw with all kinds of colored lights and a few smoke machines. And we can have worship. Well, let me check that. We can have music and entertainment. That's awesome. And we'll fill 16,000 people's stadiums every Sunday. But if the presence of God is not there, the Holy Spirit's not there, the gospel's not preached, God doesn't even pay any attention except to look at it with disdain. What he's looking for are Christians who have embraced the gospel, the good news that Jesus Christ died for me as a sinner. And he was raised from the dead as evidence that his sacrifice was sufficient so that when he said it is finished, it was done. And then we're filled with the Holy Spirit that the Holy Spirit develops the character of Christ in us, releases his anointing through us, his power. And we walk out the call that God has for his church. It can only be done. There's a couple of scriptures in Zechariah 4, 6 that says, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. He's not kidding. By his spirit. And in Psalms 127:1 it says, unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Who in the world wants to labor in vain? I want to see something. I want to accomplish something. And if we're being led by the Holy Spirit, what we want to see is the manifestation of, of God through the Holy Spirit's power and authority, all that Christ has released us into. And we want to build something for His glory, build the kingdom. Not because there's anything special about us. Well, that's not true either. We are special. We are children of the King. We are the children of the King. And we have the power of the Holy Spirit living and dwelling in each one of us. It's the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth, who convicts us of sin, converts us, sanctifies us, and saves us. Jesus died so that was possible. When the Word of God is demonstrated in the power of the Holy Spirit, it will prevail. It will win. The Word of God empowered by the Holy Spirit. I want to close with another quote from this Samuel Chadwick's little book. It's, it's, uh, it's a little bit of a description of the Holy Spirit. He says this, The Spirit is more than the minister of consolation or comfort. He is the comforter. But he is, Christ, he is Christ without the limitations of the flesh and the material world. He can reveal what Christ could not speak. He has resources of power greater than those that Christ could use. Not that he had available. He, he, could, he's, he was God. But he was limited on earth. And he makes possible greater works than his. He says, we'll do even greater works. He is the Spirit of God, the Spirit of truth, the Spirit of witness, the Spirit of conviction, the Spirit of power, the Spirit of holiness, the Spirit of life, the Spirit of adoption, the Spirit of help, 
the spirit of liberty, the spirit of wisdom, the spirit of revelation, the spirit of promise, the spirit of love, the spirit of meekness, the spirit of a sound mind, the spirit of grace, the spirit of glory, and the spirit of the prophecy. It is for the church to explore the resources of the Holy Spirit. The resources of the world are futile. The resources of the church within herself are inadequate. In the fullness of the Spirit, there is an abundance of wisdom, resources, and power. But a man-managed, world-annexing, priest-pretending church can never save the world or fulfill the mission of Christ. We need the fullness of the Holy Spirit. You know, there's a phrase that's becoming a pet peeve of mine. It's this phrase, I'm open to the things of the Holy Spirit. That is ridiculous. You're open to the power of God. Boy, how generous of us. We should be diligently reaching for, striving for, understanding, embracing, repenting, crying out and pleading for the Holy Spirit to manifest and do whatever it is He wants in my life and in His church. Not open to it, for goodness sakes. If we're only open to it, I'm open to hear what you have to say, Mike. Go ahead. <laughs> Why waste my breath? I'm open to what you want to do. Right. Maybe. If you like it. If you agree. If it doesn't offend me too much, then I'm open to it. Speak in tongues? Oh my gosh. I'm open to it, but... Heal the sick? Well, yeah, open to it. Maybe that'll... Yeah, right. I'm not so sure. Me go share the gospel? I'm open to it if you really bring someone to me and have them ask me to share the gospel with them. we got to get past that thinking and understand who the Holy Spirit is. He is God. He is God. He is the Spirit of Jesus. He is the Spirit of truth. And it will prevail and the world can be changed. We want to do our little part in building the kingdom in southwest Minnesota. We want to see lives changed in southwest Minnesota, and as far out as we can reach. But we need the fullness of the Holy Spirit to accomplish that. Let's close in prayer. Lord, I, I, I just am so thankful for Jesus and what he did, that your love for us caused you to send your only son to die in our place, that we might be redeemed, that we might get back in right relationship with you, that the sin that separated us has been dealt with by the blood of Jesus. But Lord, I'm also so thankful for the Holy Spirit of promise that Jesus, when he came to you, sent the Holy Spirit to live and dwell in each one of us, to be Jesus in our lives, to be our teacher, to glorify Jesus in us, to develop our character into the character of Christ, to empower us to do the works that you've called us to, who lives in us to build your kingdom here on earth. Lord, I pray that you would just continue to, to, to reveal to us what all of this stuff means, what it might look like in our lives, in the life of the church. God, I pray you, by your Spirit, Holy Spirit, convict us of sin. Grant us repentance that we might be quick to repent and forgive. 
Give us ears to hear your voice. Give us your boldness to act on what you tell us and what you speak to us. God, we would desire to be the hands and feet of Jesus. We desire to be your mouthpiece as we speak the gospel message. God, we desire your power in all of that. So Lord, I pray that you work with us, each one of us, as imperfect as we are. But Lord, help us to understand, in Christ, we are your children. In Christ, your purposes can be fulfilled through us. Lord, I pray as we go today, your, your spirit will continue to stir these thoughts in our mind, continue to draw us to your word, continue to give us a greater hunger for prayer and spending time with you. Help us to crucify our flesh even as you command us to each day. And Lord, help us to understand what it means to walk in the fullness of the infilling of the Holy Spirit, that you would be glorified in all of this. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Greet one another. Have a wonderful day.